Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, all right, guys, it's holiday weekend. You got a little extra sleep. How's everybody doing? Okay, there we go. All right, so the 830 was struggling this morning, so y'all pray for them, all right? Um, hey, it is good to be with you guys. My name is Luke. I am one of the pastors here, and I cannot wait for our new series to start, our summer series, Break the Mold, which you know what that means? We're going to finish the book of Hebrews. And Pastor Joel isn't in this service, so we get to make fun of him for a second. Uh, the reality is he could actually go on for another six months if we need to in Hebrews. So hold that loosely, friends. But there is on the horizon a new series called Break the Mold, where we are going to be looking at some characters in the scriptures that live counterculturally. And in doing so, they advance the kingdom of God in their time and in their space in incredible ways. And the hope of that whole entire series is that we would be encouraged, we would be reminded that God wants to use you, yep, I'm talking to you, third grader, fourth grader, and really, really wise senior adult in the room to advance the kingdom. So anybody in between, this series is going to be for you, and we cannot wait uh, to, to jump into that. And so, hey, you guys want to play a game? Okay, two of you, great, lovely, good. Me and two people are going to play a game. So, so here's what's going to happen. Because I am a professional, uh, I had one uh, musical under my belt in high school, uh, Guys and Dolls. I played a nobody, had no lines and stood there and sang. So pretty much makes me an expert in the world of acting. But we're going to act a few things out here. So I'm going to give you your first line, and then I will respond in character as an eighth grade boy which is really not that difficult for me to act like. Uh, but I will give it my best. I hope to get a Grammy. Is it a Grammy? That's the wrong. That's music. I don't know. Whatever the award is, that, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Tony, Oscar, all those guys. I hope to get one of those too. Um, I hear they're great, those guys. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a line. I will then, in character, respond. And then you're going to have to fill in the blank. So I'm collectively trusting that your role as moms and dads, well, Siri, geez Louise, stop talking to me. All right, so as moms and dads, you will respond with the appropriate answer. And if you don't get it right, this just gets really awkward because it blows my whole illustration to start the sermon. So here we go. You ready? You ready for your line? Are you sure? Okay, so here's your first line. You'll say it back to me. Go clean your room. Why? Mm-mm-mm, because I said so. Everybody knows that, right? Like, every kid in the room, like, knows that response. I'm going to say why, but I already know what my parents are going to say back to me. Because I said so, right? That's, the, that's that crazy thing that happens whenever we are told how to do something, what to do, how to live out our lives, and then our parents respond, because I said so, and if you don't do it, you may not see tomorrow, right? That's the follow-up response. Um, I made you, I can bring you out of this world, all right? There's laws against that, don't do it, okay? All right. Kids, I got your back on this one, all right? Because I said so. Ultimately, that's what's happened over centuries and centuries for the Hebrew people. There is a story and a narrative and systems and structures that have been put in place through the Ten Commandments that came, became some 600 plus laws and rules that the Jewish people were meant to live by in, honor, in order to honor God and to walk in relationship with them. Because they understood, as we all should understood, that we are meant to walk in line with how God has created us and what he has called us to do. 
But what happens so often is the why is actually forgotten. They've been told for centuries and centuries, do this because I said so. Do this and go to the temple because I said so. Do this because you must offer these sacrifices. Why? Why, what is that? Why, why do we have to do any of these things? And it became a system and rules and regulations. It became a legalistic type of living, which is not the way that God intended us to live. God intended us to live in a vibrant, life-giving, transforming life with him. Not a legalistic, because I have to. You don't just need to keep putting a quarter in and turning the machine over and over again. We are meant to live in a dynamic, life-giving relationship with Jesus. And that's what the writer of Hebrews has been addressing from chapter 1 and all the way as we wrap up this series in Hebrews 13, verse 7, if you want to turn there, is to help us understand the why. The why is Jesus Christ. And everything of their culture, the systems and structures that were put in place to help them walk in relationship, which became a rote system and structure, and they missed the point. They missed the big idea. They missed the person of Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to help this people that the book is written to and us see that we are meant to live a transformed life in relationship with Jesus Christ. You guys ready for the word of God? All right, y'all stand up with me. Let's read the word. As I almost fall off the stage, that would have been great. All right, so here's what we do. Because church is meant to be fun, it is meant to be interactive, it is a dynamic, transforming life, full life. We like to have fun, we like to talk, and so on the screen are... Uh, Underline parts, that's where you just read it out. Read it loud, read it proud, all right? You got it? Okay, all right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Okay, sorry, I started reading. I didn't give you space, my bad. I'm looking here, I wasn't looking there. All right, let's just try that again just to make sure we have a flawless run through here. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the nicely done consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith oh that is a good one read it again like focus in on that amen in a world that is constantly changing we need some good news and some hope like that amen Amen. Let's continue to read. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them, which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for the sin are burned outside the camp. So... in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that... And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
And so we come as we're landing the plane in Hebrews chapter 13 to this kind of, there's some little like one-off sentences to remind the reader how they are to live in light of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because the writer all through the passages has been saying, hey, you've been practicing at this, but it's been a foreshadow of Jesus, the perfect one. You've been doing this. You've trusted the high priest and you followed him. You tried to worship and you follow the things of Moses. And it's constantly drawing out this picture that Jesus is the perfect one that we are to fix our eyes on, which is one of the key verses in the whole entire book. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It is causing us to reconsider how we live and who and how we follow Jesus. And in doing so, verse 7 draws some real practical advice. And these are just real practical things that we can apply in our day-to-day lives. As Pastor Joel led us through the first few verses of chapter 13, all the way now we get to verse 7. It says, remember those who rule over you. Another way to think about those, these are the ones who oversee the concept of shepherd. The way that we even try to do our uh, leadership here at the church is with elder-led. That means a group of men who oversee, they shepherd, they steward us as a church. And that's what it's talking about. Remember those who leaders who rule over you. This is not some sort of regal, you know, political type term. It is a shepherding, relational type term. And he says, we are able to recognize and follow godly leadership in the body of Christ. Leadership shown to be legitimate, to be true, to be faithful to the word of God and to godly conduct. And one of the things I want to just draw, so I want to read this passage in the New Living Translation. We typically read from the English Standard Version, which is a word-for-word translation of the scriptures. It really dives into the Greek and tries to put it in a readable uh, form for us. And we trust a word-for-word translation because we want to know what the original authors were writing and how do we interpret and apply that to our day-to-day lives. But I love thought-for-thought translations like the New Living Translation. These are my go-to when I'm studying scriptures, an ESV and an NLT. Those are typically open at the same time as I'm studying, as I'm preparing messages, because I want to have the word for what do the words really mean? But the NLT sums this up in a really good way. It says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. So you can see those are two wildly different things that you have in the ESV and NLT, but it summarizes the thought for thought, the heart, because that's ultimately what Jesus is after, is our hearts in these things, not an intellectual pursuit of him, but our hearts to be transformed and to run after him. It says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Consider the outcomes of their lives. Look at the fruit of their life. Look at what their lives show and follow their example. Imitate them. We say it around here at Chapel Point that we are transformed followers of Jesus. It is our vision to multiply transformed followers of Jesus, where all of us fix our eyes on Jesus and we run hard after the things he has called us to. Whatever he says to do, we say, okay, or yes. We say yes. We say yes to what he's called us to do because he is the one who is leading us. And we're saying, wherever you're going, Jesus, we're moving in that direction. But what God does is he does bring leaders into our lives, transformed leaders who for a time and in a season teach us, guide us, and we see their example and we are to follow 
after them. That's what the writer's reminding them. Even in Hebrews chapter 11, it's some of it called the hall of faith, where you see countless small snippets and stories to people who live faithfully, men and women who obeyed God and in all situations were faithful to what God had called them to. But he's also calling out to these people that he's writing to, these people of Hebrew descent. Remember those who have shepherded you, who have pastored you, who have led you. And what I want us to dial into for just a quick moment is what is a transformed leader? We see from this passage that a transformed leader is someone who teaches the word of God, someone who is unapologetic that this is the word of God and we will not try to force fit our ideas into a passage to live by. But in doing so, this word actually shapes our lives. This word actually begins to chisel away. It is to bring conviction. It is to bring encouragement. It is to help me walk in a manner worthy of Jesus as a transformed follower of Jesus. But too often we come to passages and verses, and maybe you've seen or experienced this, where someone takes a verse, hijacks it out of the context, and then they make a whole worldview or an ideology around it, and they begin to live their lives. One of the prime examples of that is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You guys ready? Watch me fly. No, like... That's not what some of the passage is talking about. It is a verse that's been hijacked as an encouragement, but when it's meant to be in the context of the book of Philippians to say, I can endure, I can be content in all circumstances is what Paul is writing to the church in Philippi in that book. It's not a thing for our sports team, which like, it's fine, put on, your, on, your, on the back of your jersey, that's great, let it be your verse, whatever. But that's not what it's about. I can do all things, watch me go. No, it's I because of the strength of who Jesus is as a transfer follower, will endure anything for the name and the fame of Jesus. That's what that verse is really saying. And so we have to be careful. Transformed leaders teach the whole word of God. They do not shy away from anything in the word. And that's why I love what we do, um, other than like summer series and things like that. But we typically just walk through a book of the Bible and we just walk verse by verse, wrestling with it, seeing how it shapes us and molds us. Transform leaders are to leave good things in their wake, right? To leave good things in their wake as they live their life and as their timeline progresses. There are meant to be things that are left behind for those who are to see the good things that follow after them. And that's what I love when I think about Memorial Day in this moment is I actually saw a lady on uh, 28th, Balsam, 32nd, 36th, whatever you call that street that's right over there. I still, I've lived there six years and I'm still like, where am I at this current point? In the, I don't know. That's weird. I'm just going to give you what I think on that, which doesn't matter. So forget it. But there at the, um, the cemetery that's right there, I saw a family and, and, a, and a sweet older lady was taking a picture of a headstone where they put a flag and flowers down. And that's what Memorial Day is all about, to, to remember the lives that have passed, to remember what they have done, to look back on their life and to see the things that came from their life. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us, is to look back on the lives of those who've been in your life, the pastors, the leaders, who have taught you the word of God, and remember their lives. Remember the things that they have done and the good that they have left in their wake, just like any good leader would do, is they are meant to be good things that follow from them. And we see that because they live out their faith in God. Transform leaders live out their faith in God. It is an example to follow. Just like in Hebrews 11, those are examples to follow. But it made me think about one of, one of the greatest spiritual leaders that the scriptures remind us of is Paul. And if you remember the story of Paul in the book of Acts, Paul was a zealous Hebrew. 
He was zealous. He was trained by the best scholars in, in Jewish culture and how to practice the laws and what to do and how to do it and when to do it. He had the law down. And in fact, he was so zealous that he would go on to persecute the church. He would devote his life to snuffing out the Christian story of Jesus Christ, to do anything in his power. And in fact, if you remember, he stood at the execution, the stoning of Stephen, a man of deep faith who had encountered Jesus and was transformed by him and was proclaiming the good news, Paul stands there in approval as Stephen is stoned to death for his faith. This is who Paul is, but something happened, a radical transformation from the inside out. We say it a lot around here that God can redeem anyone, anytime, from anything. And that's exactly what happened with Paul. God said, Paul, you've been trained in a system and in a structure and understand how the ins and outs of Jewish culture work, but I want to shake it up and I want to transform you to see that all of those things were a foreshadow of what it means to follow me. What it means to follow me, Paul. And Jesus just calls him out. He has an encounter, a real visceral life-changing encounter with Jesus, and he is turned upside down. And in Acts 20 where Paul's life has been changed, he begins to lead and plant churches, make disciples, evangelize, tell people about Jesus. And there's a church he's at in Ephesus for three years. And there's this emotional moment where God has called him to a new place and their sadness because their spiritual leader, their transformed leader, that God had placed in their life at that time, at that season, to train them, to equip them, to encourage them, to fight for them, and to show them the example of what it means to follow Jesus says this, verse 24 of Acts 20. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish the, my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel, to the grace of God. And it goes on down in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all your flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things. Among yourselves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus is the reality that we need transformed leaders like Paul, like other people that have been in our lives that say, follow my example. He says, I didn't consider anything of my life value, but to do what God has called me to as a transformed follower of Jesus, he became a transformed leader to open up new avenues where people who were lost, dying, separated from God, feeling their shame and their guilt and lack of worth, Paul opens up new opportunities for people to come back to life. And as he leaves, he says, I'm leaving, but I need to see more spiritual leaders rise up, more transformed leaders. And he says, pay careful attention to the flock. Spiritual leadership, transformed leaders are people who are shepherds, who guide the sheep to say, hey, we're going in this direction. Hey, here's good things for you to eat. They take care of, they love, they care for the people that they are entrusted to steward for the glory of God and for his church. And he says, pay careful attention though, because there's going to be fierce wolves that come among you. So not only is a spiritual leader, a transformed leader meant to guide you and say, hey, come this way, not this way. Hey, over there's danger. Um, let's go this way. This is good over here. This is where we need to go. They also guard they fight for and they fight against the things that would seek to harm the sheep. 
This is what a transformed leader is. Someone who guides and guards. We need more transformed leaders, and then we as transformed followers need to key off of our transformed leaders to follow after them, to follow in their examples. Paul even says it in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, which I always kind of wrestled with because I thought it was an arrogant statement, but it's not. It's actually just a fact. It says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Would we be as bold to look at our lives, to examine our lives, and to tell other people, hey, you can imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. You, you can follow me because I'm going to be devoted to the word of God, and I'm going to speak the whole counsel of the word of God, and I'm going to leave good things in my wake as transformed leaders. And I just want to say this, church, because I feel like it's appropriate in this passage. It's one of the things I'm so grateful for with this church Almost six years ago, my family got to move up here and it has been the greatest gift to submit my life to the men of this church, to the elders in this, that lead this humbly, prayerfully. They are honest, they are earnest, and they are godly men. And so I'm grateful for the leadership this church has placed. I'm grateful for Pastor Joel because he has done those things in my life and these men. And we see it happen in all other stories. But I know that I've personally encountered it where Pastor Joel has guided me. He says, hey, you should think about this. And there's been times that he has guarded me against things. And he has fought for me. And I am grateful for that. And in fact, one of the things that I love about Pastor Joel is I just like to cue off of him. Can, can we just have a moment of confession? Can I be honest with you guys? It's always 8.30 was the same response. Just sheer quiet. So great. This feels safe. I feel vulnerable. We're going to have a good time here, all right? Thanks for being the church. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a, I don't know. We're just, I'm just going to go with it because I got nothing else. This is where the sermon goes. I, it's going to be hard for you to believe this, this moment of confession. It's going to be really hard. But I, I pretty much work out all the time. Yep, with Pastor Joel. It's always awesome. I love it. About once every six months. You know why? Because I just wanted to remember what pain feels like. I want to know what hurt looks like and feels like. And in fact, it got so bad, I started working out with him again recently, uh, which has me making life decisions that are, you know, uh, I'm, I'm questioning my thinking and my rationale. Because after working out the first time with him, took Catherine, my wife, on a date, uh, went to go have some fried rice and some sushi, and then as I'm trying to eat, I can't move my arm! Because it is sore, it's hurting, and she's like, bro, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, Pastor Joel. That's all I need. And so, like, I'm having to, like, help my fried rice to my, like, is embarrassing. So I apologize, honey, for being that guy uh, that just made you feel awkward at dinner. But the reality is of this story is what I do know about working out, it is good for me. It is good for my heart and my mind as a follower of Jesus because there are meant to be years that God has called me and he's called all of us to live for him. It is a mindfulness about those things and just discipline that needs to be in my life. So that's where he is guarding me. He's helping me say, Luke, you need, some, you need some discipline in these areas so that you can continue to be used by God for it has nothing to do with my physical fitness because let's be real, this is awesome. Just kidding. I don't know where that came from. But I need someone like Joel in my life. We all need someone like that in our life that we can cue off of when it comes to following Jesus. So similarly in working out, he's helping me. I don't know what I'm doing in the garage. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to drop something on me. Like, it's just not a good thing in the garage. But what he does is he helps, and I just see him, so I'm cueing off of him. And that's what a transformed leader can be for us. We can cue off of them, follow their example. We can imitate them.
And church, I'm grateful for the leadership that we have here at Chapel Point, that we can imitate these men. We can imitate the women that are a part of this church so that we can follow after them because they are transformed leaders who teach the word of God. They leave good things in their wake and they live out their faith in God. Unfortunately, we have seen the fallout of spiritual leadership in our culture. We've seen lots of churches, big and small, where there's been a moral failure. There's been some sort of bad leadership that has left a wake of damage. And you hear stories about this. You see it on the news. You've experienced it personally here being in West Michigan. There's been a lot of stories like this. And so we have to acknowledge this reality that we cue off of transformed leaders, but our hope is not in transformed leaders. Our hope is ultimately in Jesus. And those men and those women in our lives are meant to cue off of, but ultimately our eyes are fixed on who Jesus is. The church needs transformed leaders and it needs transformed followers. That's all of us. God just puts some people in our lives at certain times to help us cue off of them. But as soon as their cue is no longer lined up with the word of God, and you start to hear things like, I think, or you start to sense things that are false teachings, things that pull away from the reality of the gospel is a simple gospel. If you start to hear people say, well, you need Jesus plus this. Oh, you can follow Jesus as long as you practice all the Jewish laws. That's not what this passage is telling us. It's not saying Jesus plus whatever. It's saying Jesus, period. Jesus, period, is the one we're to fix our eyes on, and we get to be transformed followers of Jesus. What I do know is that there are men and women that are worth queuing off of, worth following, because a faith that can be followed, it's transformation on display. A faith that can be followed is transformation that's on display. Look at their lives. Look at how they are living. Look at what they are doing and what they're saying, and is it congruent? Is it in line with the scriptures? And if it's not, Step away and find another leader to follow, to cue off of. And again, our hope has to be fixed on Jesus. That's why verse 8 is so crucial. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Underline that in your Bible. Highlight it. Underline it in the church Bible if you're using one of those. Highlight it on your Bible app. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who is the perfect spiritual leader that you and I need, and we fix our eyes on him. Our course is set to follow him. One writer said Leslie Newbegin in uh, his book, as he's looking at a pluralistic, pluralistic culture, he's looking around and he's just kind of sensing the tides are changing and people are beginning to have unique ways of thinking. He says, Jesus is both totally compassionate and yet totally uncompromising about what is involved in coming to the fullness of life. There can be no compromise with false ideas about what it is that makes for fullness of life. There can be no compromise because Jesus is not compromising anything. He is fully compassionate, aware of our needs, aware of our struggles, aware of the tensions that are currently happening in our culture. And he is compassionate, moved to action on our behalf because the answer is the gospel, the good news of what God has done to redeem mankind to himself and to one another. The answer is the gospel. The answer is what Jesus has done. And we cannot compromise by false ideas, which is Jesus plus anything else. Whatever that is, a system, a structure, a practice, 
fun fact for you. Did you know that the early church didn't have electric instruments? I know, right? That's crazy. Did you know that in the early church they didn't have speakers in amazing places to worship like the building we're in? What? That's just, wow. Crazy to think about. If there are systems and practices and structures put in place that distract us and we say this is what it means to follow Jesus and we make it about the stuff, it's a false gospel. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus who is unchanging, though there will be leaders in your lives who will let you down. It's not an excuse to not be a transformed follower of Jesus because of other people's mistakes and because of other people's failures, you are to be a transformed follower of Jesus, not a transformed follower of Chapel Point, not a transformed follower of West Michigan, not a transformed follower of anything but Jesus. This is what it means to have a savior, a God who knows us fully compassionate and fully uncompromising. This is what it means. And he goes on into verse nine and says, do not be led away led away. That is a willingness to follow after other teachings. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, the gospel, the good news of what God has done. There's nothing we could do to earn it, and all we get to do is live in light of it, in joy, in hope, and in future, passionately responding in those spaces. He goes on to paint a picture in this, and moving down through the passage, it's by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right. He's calling out the system of the Jewish culture. He's saying the God that we serve, the grace that is to strengthen our heart, ultimately the altar of the cross of Jesus Christ, of what his death, burial, and resurrection, defeating sin and death, opening the doors for a full life, a transformed life in him. He is calling out, there are those who are not even worthy to eat from it. They're not worthy to eat from it because they are not following Jesus. They have made it about the systems and structures and goes on in verse 11, which is why I want you to kind of think about communion and as Josh led us a few moments ago as we look at these next few verses. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he bore. What is happening in this passage is a goat would be sacrificed at the altar. That blood on the Day of Atonement would be walked into the Holies Holies. And that blood would be sprinkled on, uh, uh, in, the, in there to, for the covering of sins. And in that moment, what would happen is that body of that animal would be taken outside of the camp and just discarded. So something that was meant to represent our sacri the, the sacrifice to walk in a right relationship with God, something that was holy, set apart in that space, all of a sudden just becomes garbage. And what we find is that Jesus Christ on his sacrifice, he was not sacrificed in the temple, but he was sacrificed on a Roman cross on a hill outside of the temple. The holy, perfect son of God, the only perfect one, the only holy one to ever exist, dies outside the camp. But in doing so, he makes us holy those who have been walked in darkness and away from the ways of God. One uh, writer says it like this, what was formerly sacred was now unhallowed. The sacrifice was thrown away. 
because Jesus had expelled from it what was formerly unhallowed was now sacred. So the cross, though a Roman, non-Jewish instrument of death, becomes the marker for us of grace and forgiveness. That is the altar that those who continue to serve the old systems and the structures that were just a picture of Jesus can't understand. Their hearts are not strengthened by grace because they think they still have to do something in order to earn God's love and grace. You don't have to earn it. It is yours because Jesus' sacrifice is once done and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't have to walk in fear or guilt or shame or unholiness because he has now made you holy. Consider that for just a moment. That God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, looks at you, those who believe, transform followers of Jesus, and sees you as holy. He sees you as holy. That's good news. God has redeemed you to himself through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so that leads me to kind of this idea. So we kind of looked at leaders. We're looking at what's happening in the life of Jesus. But quickly, a transformed follower. It goes on in verse 14. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This passage paints a picture of what does it really look like for a transformed follower to live. And there's a lot more that could be said, but I just want to dial into these few verses for a moment. A transformed follower is someone who is an imitator. They imitate the leaders that are in their lives, and they imitate, ultimately, Jesus Christ. They seek the coming kingdom. It says, we are not going to focus on the things of the earth, but we're going to focus on the things to come. Just like the Lord's Prayer says, in heaven, on earth, as it is in heaven on earth as it is in heaven, and we get to be a part of that as transformed followers of Jesus, to walk around as ambassadors of the coming kingdom and live in such a way. That's what it means to be a transformed followers of Jesus, an imitator who seeks the coming kingdom, not the temporary, but the eternal things that are good. A person, a transformed follower, someone who responds in praise, praises every part of your life. It's not just singing. It's lifting up a heart of gratitude as you give. It's lifting up a heart of praise as you serve. It's lifting up a heart of praise as you do just good, hard work for the glory of God. Giving it everything that you have, saying, Jesus, I offer this up to you as praise because you're worthy. And ultimately, a transformed follower of Jesus is someone who acknowledges the name of Jesus. Fixing our eyes on him, speaking boldly, proclaiming with our mouths, Jesus is Lord. And a transformed follower we see in this passage, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing. A transformed follower of Jesus is someone who's overly generous. And church, you guys are incredibly overly generous. I'm grateful for this church and the work that we get to do together for the sake of the kingdom. But here's what I want us to understand. As a transformed follower, passion responds in every area of their life. Every area of their life is queuing off of Jesus, looking at him because Jesus is the perfect spiritual leader. Jesus is the perfect spiritual leader, and we simply respond by following him. We simply respond by following him. We simply follow after him. We do what he has called us to do because Jesus is the perfect spiritual leader. That's what we do. We respond by following him. We seek him. So the question then for us is this. 
What, do we, what am I supposed to do with this? this? This is good information. This is good news to be proclaimed. This is what we do as a church. We proclaim the gospel, the good news of what God has done to redeem us, mankind, to himself and to one another. We live by the Spirit as transformed followers of Jesus. We passionately respond. What does that mean? I want to close with this a story and a quote from Leslie Newbegin. It says, and yet I confess that I have come to feel that the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on the public life is the Christian congregation. The primary reality, the primary thing that will have an impact on the culture around us to impact the public life, the public square, is the Christian congregation. That's us. That's us, Chapel Point. And it's the other churches as well in our community like Redemption and Georgetown Bible and friends that we have all over the country now that are gospel-centered, transformed followers running after Jesus. It's the Christian congregation. Us. It's how God's going to use us. He goes on to say, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible? How is it possible that people will actually believe this thing called Christianity and believe in Jesus? They should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. The final word is Jesus on the cross saying, I'll take your sins upon me. And I'll die the death you deserve so that you can live the life that you can never earn. You can never earn it. But I give it to you freely because I love you. That's it. I'm suggesting that only the answer, the only hermeneutic, the way of understanding the gospel for the world around us is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. The only way that we can have a true impact on the world around us, the culture here in West Michigan, that is in desperate need of the gospel, is when you and I believe it and when you and I collectively live it out together. <laughs> this is the thing, like it just wrecks me every time because there's something that I know, I know. Like I am the chief Sinner, I'm the one who makes the biggest mistake in the story that I'm about to tell you guys. There is this picture in my head that I cannot, like I can't shake it. It's what stirs my heart. It's what wakes me up in the middle of the night when I do wake up because I sleep pretty hard. But it's the thing that messes with me the most. It messes with me. Imagine this. Your wedding day. And men, you are standing at the altar there. And your bride walks in. Do you remember this moment? She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's radiating because she is in this beautiful white dress. That's the picture that the scriptures paint for us in our relationship with Jesus. That he is the bridegroom standing, waiting to welcome us into his home. And we are the bride of Christ, redeemed by his blood. But what happens is the world is watching us. It feels like we, the bride of Christ, are walking down the aisle and we're scooping up handfuls of mud. And we just wipe it on ourselves. We just scoop it up and we just smear it all over us. 
and we continue to walk down the aisle. We were meant to be holy, blameless, beautiful, and radiant before a God who has made us that. But what we happen too often is we don't believe it and we don't live out that redemption. We don't live out that faith that God has put in us. But God in his grace and his mercy, he looks down that aisle and he says, I got you, honey. Come on, let me help you clean that dress off. Come on down the aisle. I love you. Keep coming towards me as a transformed follower. Keep coming, honey. Keep coming towards me. And I will clean you. I will wash you in the water of the word. And my blood has been shed for you and will make you white as snow. What will have an impact is that picture of the church of Jesus Christ, believing the gospel, believing the good news that there is nothing we could do to earn salvation, but it is freely offered by Jesus Christ, the one who loves us forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And we simply get to passionately respond and walk towards him, knowing that he is making us new, that he is redeeming us. How will the world and the community around us know when a congregation, the bride of Christ, the congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. That's what Hebrews 13 is all about. Helping us see what it means to be a transformed follower of Jesus, redeemed by him. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me, God, that I have too often picked up mud and wiped it on the wedding gown that you have prepared for us. Thank you for your grace that it is sufficient and it is enough. And Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and my sisters right here in this space. God, would you do what only you can do, and that is continue to transform us by the renewing of our minds as we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you endured the cross, Jesus. You endured our cross. You took our place. Praise to you, God. We lift up the name of Jesus. May the world around us be impacted because we believe it and we live by it. For your glory and for your name, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.